You guys still like that, don't you? <laughs> see, that'll be the motivation to come next week because you can see John Crawl's <laughs> Bitmoji. Because it hasn't, has it been released yet in the public? No. So there's your incentive. If you haven't made one of these, you've got to make sure you go on. And uh, I'm obsessed with it now. Those of you that follow me on Facebook, I just always just leave a bitmoji on every post that I have. I think it's incredible. Uh, but we've been having fun. If you're new to Shepherd's Gate, we've been in this sermon series called Icon of Influence. And so our graphics team made bitmojis for all of these major characters in the Bible. And so today we're on week four. Uh, we're going to be looking at Peter today. And I want to start with a question for you this morning. Um, how many of you, you, you you're just um, very good at making decisions? Oh, there's a couple of you, right? And so, like, you're, you're humble, but yet you're confident, and, and, you, and you know uh, what, you, what you want to do in life. And so when uh, situations or struggles present themselves, you're able to speak truth, and you're able to speak things into them. And so you kind of live your life, and you're able to do that, and you're kind of able to make decisive decisions. Some of you said, yeah, that's me, right? Some of you, because uh, you were giggling, I'm going to guess, you, you probably feel more like this guy, right? You go through life always questioning and wondering, am I making the right decisions? You doubt yourself and then you make the decision and you regret the decision that you make and so you're always Monday morning quarterbacking yourself and you add all this extra stress and worry to your life. Um, maybe you're like me this morning. Um, I get accused of being indecisive all the time. Uh, in fact, I have an older brother. He's 18 months older than me and he has declared to me and to my family that he will never, ever, ever go shopping with me ever again whether it's to buy a car, whether it's to buy a television, or whether it's to buy something as simple as a washing machine. Uh, and the reason is, is because I just have sometimes a hard time making a decision until I have all the facts in front of me. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so if we're gonna buy a washing machine, I just wanna research every washing machine in America, right? <laughs> I want to understand, you know, the way that, th that they're made. I want to read every single review, usually a thousand reviews per item, right? I want to make sure that this is the washing machine that should wash the clothes of my family. And so uh, some people would look at that as being indecisive. I just look at that as being, you know, very strategic. Wouldn't you say that? How many of you fall into that category? You're kind of with me, right? So you're probably uh, more of a researcher, right? Where some people, they just do things, right? They're just able to make decisions. And that's definitely our guy this morning named Peter. And uh, if you were with us on Easter, you know that our Easter message was actually walking through uh, the gospel, specifically the gospel of Mark, and looking at the life of Peter and kind of going back and actually looking over all the different chapters and kind of having this broad overview of his life and the way uh, that God interacted with him in Scripture and the influence that he had in Scripture. And so um, if you were with us, I know that you all, because it was only two months ago, you still remember my Easter sermon, right? None of you have forgotten it. I knew it. I knew. See, I knew they weren't have forgotten it. Uh, for those of you that weren't here, here's just a real quick summary of it. Uh, Peter was actually a fisherman. He was called by Jesus, and Jesus has said these three simple words, come and follow me, and he dropped his nets, and he followed Jesus. And uh, very quickly after this, he actually becomes the spokesman for all the other disciples that Jesus called. And uh, he's always the one that speaks on behalf of the group. He's always the one that has that ability to be decisive. He's always the one that has the ability to speak and to tell people what's going on. In fact, sometimes it actually gets him in trouble. Uh, he actually was bold enough to rebuke Jesus. Think about that. In the Bible, the fact that it's actually included for us is pretty incredible. And he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus actually has to rebuke him back. So much so, in order to get his attention, in order to rattle his cage, he actually calls him Satan. 
So imagine being the guy out of the 12 that's called Satan by Jesus, right? I mean, that's not a good thing. Uh, he's the guy, if you remember, in the upper room uh, when they're uh, getting ready to have the meal. Jesus is beginning to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter's the one that argues with Jesus about having his feet washed. He's the guy that when, when they're in the garden, the night he's betrayed, uh, and the soldiers come to take Jesus, even though Jesus just a few moments ago said, hey, guess what? They're going to come and they're going to take me, and you need to let them do this because this is part of God's plan for my life. Peter's the one that whips out the sword, right? And he cuts off the ear of the high priest, of which I said, who was the one that gave Peter a sword, right? His track record up to this point isn't very good. He's the last guy that should have a sword, but luckily Jesus bent down and healed the uh, servant's ear. He's the one that said he would never deny Jesus, even though all the other disciples would deny Jesus. He said, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then he goes on to deny him, not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. And that's an important number for Peter. You're gonna see that as it plays out today. Uh, but thanks be to God that Jesus, after he's raised from the dead and they're having a fish fry on the beach, he goes to Peter and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And he does this to humble Peter. He does this to restore Peter. And ultimately that passage of scripture at the end of John, he once again calls Peter and he says to him, come and follow me. And that's exactly what Peter does and that's how the Gospels end for us. And so that's really part one of Peter's story. And so today we're actually going to be doing kind of the same thing. We're going to look at Peter in the book of Acts, or as it's also called, Acts of the Apostles. And so there's chair Bibles in front of you. If you wouldn't mind grabbing one of them, if you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. We're going to turn to page 909. If you're watching online, we encourage you to just go to BibleGateway.com if you want to look at the scriptures, um, or they'll have them on the screens for you as well. But we're going to be going through chapters Okay, so you're going to have to be really quick at flipping pages this morning, all right? You're just going to have to follow along with me, and we're going to go from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12 and possibly even to 15. But what's interesting is Jesus has now ascended into heaven, right? He rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples, and in Acts chapter 1-8, he looks at them, and the final thing that he says to the disciples is, you are to go and you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is a place that they were comfortable with. That was where all the Jewish people assembled. In Judea, still Jewish area. In Samaria, which is where the Gentiles were. And to the rest of the world, to all of the earth. He gives them this incredible commission that they are to share God, the gospel with every single person on the planet. And so they go into this upper room. They begin to pray. The Holy Spirit in this powerful way comes on them. They begin to speak in tongues. And there's a crowd that gathers outside because they're so confused that they're actually hearing these tongues being spoken. And so guess who stands up with the 11? Because Judas has been replaced now by Matthias. Peter, of course, is the one that stands up and he gives the very first sermon ever in the history of the church. He lifts his voice and he addresses them. This is why preachers today are allowed to lift our voices because Peter did, right? And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, right? So he's got two of the four down that Jesus gave him. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he gives this first ever sermon in the history of the church. And what's so interesting is you look at his sermon, he actually quotes the Old Testament. He quotes scripture, which is why today we still quote scripture in church. In fact, the first person he quotes is Joel. And in that passage, he tells this sentence. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
everyone, right? This isn't just for the Jewish people. This is for everyone. He quotes David, which we looked at last week. If you were here last week, right? And he has these two quotes. You have made known to me the path of life and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Until ultimately it culminates into what we looked at during the baptism today, that as they're hearing the word of God preached, as he's challenging their hearts through the Holy Spirit, they're actually cut to the heart, which is what the gospel does. When you present the gospel, it cuts people to the heart. And he tells them that you need to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that you are going to receive this incredible gift that we just received. We just received this in the upper room, and now it's going to be for all of you, and not just for you, but for your children. Again, for all. This is inclusive. This is for everyone. This isn't exclusive. This includes everybody on this planet. God loves every single person. And this sermon was so used by God that 3,000 souls came to faith. Isn't that incredible? 3,000. What a miracle. There isn't a pastor on the planet that wishes that he wouldn't be used by God to preach and 3,000 people would be added to his church. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. You can imagine Peter is on fire, right? I mean, Peter, holy smokes. You can, you can just imagine the influence now and just, uh, just how everyone would have known who he was. And so we find out in the next chapter that there he is with one of the other disciples going to pray in the temple. This was their custom to do. And they bring out this guy who's sick. In fact, he's been sick from birth. He's been disabled. And they lay him there to beg. And Peter, for whatever reason, even though he's been by this thing a hundred times before, even though he's gone and done this for whatever times before, he looks at this guy and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? He's using his full formal name. He says, rise up and walk. And Peter reaches down. He takes him by the right hand. He raises him up, right? Peter's raising him up. And immediately this guy's feet and ankles were made strong. Man, talk about being decisive, right? Talk about speaking into the moment. Talking about being in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to tell somebody that God is going to heal them and then you're physically raising them up, man, you better be in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the way Peter was. In fact, you see this over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Peter getting it right over and over and over again. In fact, because so many people knew of this guy, it caused a stir, and all these people gather around and Peter kind of looks at the crowd and he sees that all the people are gathered so he gives another sermon. This is sermon number two. This is the second sermon in the history of the church. And he begins to uh, address them and he begins to point again back to the Old Testament. He tells them the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Now watch how he changes this sermon compared to the one in Acts chapter two. He says, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Isn't it interesting how confrontational Peter is in this passage? He has no problem exposing what actually took place and being used by the Holy Spirit to bring law into their hearts that God's word would convict their hearts and ultimately lead them to repentance. And you gotta imagine that the people, the religious leaders, they, they, they felt like, okay, we finally got rid of Jesus, right? We finally crucified him and they knew that there was rumors that he had rise from the dead but they wouldn't believe that, they were denying it. And now here comes Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, causing a bunch of commotion. And so here they are, they're all gathered around and I like that it says that they're greatly annoyed. They're annoyed by Peter 
And they hear him teaching and proclaiming in Jesus, and not just Jesus, but he's proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrest him and they throw him in jail for the night. Imagine that, you know, experience for Peter. Being in the, the jail cell and just seeing already, already uh, early on what had uh, taken place. And isn't it interesting that even as he's arrested, even as he's beginning to be persecuted for proclaiming Jesus, many that heard the word believed, and now the church grows to 5,000. 5,000. Because he wasn't afraid to proclaim the gospel that God had put on his heart. He realized the mission that God had given him. And he continued to do that. In fact, uh, the uh, angel comes and he, and he breaks them out of jail. And, they, and the angel tells them to go and to continue preaching the gospel. And so they go out into the streets and they continue to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen. So much so that they arrested them again. So he gets arrested again. And it says, during the night, angels came and opened the door again. And, he, and the angel kept saying to them, go and speak to the people. Speak the words of life. And when daybreak, there they were, being obedient to what God had called them to do. And he was preaching and he was teaching. See, I believe that every day that Peter woke up, after that day of Pentecost, I believe his prayer was this. God, whatever it is that you have for me today, not my will, God, but your will. Whatever I have on my agenda, I want your agenda to supersede that. I want you to make sure that I am walking in lockstep with what it is that you have for me. See, so often in our lives, we like to cram our schedules full, right? We got our schedules and our, and our, and our activities, and we're going from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. We have no margin and no time to just take a break or a pause and say, God, what is it that you have for me today? God, how do you want me to spread the gospel message, this mission that you have given me as an individual, this mission that you've given us as a church? And Jesus, as we hear in his word, as he said it over and over again in Matthew, where he said, go and make disciples of all nations, or go and seek and save the lost. Or again, as he said to Peter, feed my sheep. That's not just for the disciples, that's for us today, that we continue to spread the gospel message. How do we get into this heart and this life and, and this, in this mode that Peter is in? unafraid of what's to happen. So much so that there's uh, so many scriptures of Peter uh, confronting people that need to be confronted, but also being used by God to perform miracles. And maybe you're wondering if God still performs miracles today, and as Pastor John said, we're gonna be looking at that the whole month of July, so make sure you come back or tune in online so we can look at that together. But even as he has the boldness to go and to believe that God can heal people, in fact, in chapter 9, verse 40, this uh, lady named Tabitha, she actually passes away. And she's one of the disciples. She's one of the 5,000 at this point. And they say, they say, go and get Peter. We know the Holy Spirit is with Peter. And Peter is brought into the house and he kicks everybody else out of the room. And he takes her by the hand and by faith and by the Holy Spirit, he's able to have her rise from the dead. And what does it do? Every single time, that God used Peter to perform one of these incredible miracles, people churned to the Lord. People's faith were wakened in their hearts and their lives. Now again, to this point, Peter is still just in the Jerusalem and the Judea area. And in chapter 10, Peter's life's about to take a radical left turn. Because if you want to flip to page 918, if you're still following with the 918, Peter is now going to be called to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius, we find in verse 1, was, a, was uh, from Caesarea, 
and he was known as the Italian cohort. He was actually a devout man. He feared God. He actually gave a portion of his income to help others. He prayed continually, but this was the problem. He was a Gentile. And even though God told them to go to every single person, and even though Peter stood up and he said, this promise is for everyone, they still hadn't released it to everyone. They were still just focused on their communities and their Jewish communities. And so here he is, there's this guy, and this guy has this uh, uh, vision, this dream that he is to go and he's to find Peter and he's to bring Peter back to his house. But this is what God does to orchestrate these events to get this through to Peter. He actually has Peter fall asleep and take a nap. And Peter is taking this nap and he has this vision of this sheet that comes down. There's these four corners and there's these, all these animals are on these sheep. There's reptiles and there's birds. And there's this voice that comes to Peter in his dream. You can kind of see there in the middle. It says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's pretty simple, right? And what does Peter do? In Peter-like fashion, he argues, even with God in his dream. I just love that. He's the only one that would ever do this, right? He, none of you would ever argue. I would never argue with God in a dream, right? But Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened how many times? Do you see the patience of God? Do you see the mercy of God? Even with his head disciple, even with the spokesman for the other group, that he would affirm the call in his life, that he would bring him this vision and this dream, that he would not do it just once, but twice, but three times. And so Cornelius' men are sent to go find Peter, and Peter goes because he has this vision. And so Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, and he enters the house, and this is kind of interesting because he says to Cornelius, you yourselves know it is unlawful for me to associate. I'm a Jew, although I'm a follower of Jesus now, it's unlawful for me to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I came. I came because God told me to come, right? And you often wonder, well, if he wouldn't have had the vision, if he wouldn't have had the dream, if Cornelius would have just sent men to Peter where he was at the time, would he have gone? Would he have been willing to step out in faith or would that have been an indecisive moment in Peter's life? And would he have questioned that even though he knew the call that God had called him to do? But it's kind of interesting because as you continue to read in chapter 10, Peter opens his mouth and he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He's saying this promise is for everyone. He's repeating what he said in chapter 2, right? This promise is for you and for your children, for all, for everybody who would call on the name of our God and have faith in him. And what's so interesting is that he just happens to be talking. And while he's talking, it's not like he laid his hands on him. It's not like he did anything else. He's just talking. And the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and his entire household. And they all began to speak in tongues. So Peter is seeing this, this gift, this manifestation of this gift. The same thing that he saw in the upper room with himself and the 120 people and the other disciples. So surely this is yet another sign for Peter that this is for everyone and he said it, he said, the believers are here, even on the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And as, he's being, as the Holy Spirit's being poured out, Peter goes, well, 
I guess since the Holy Spirit's poured out, we should probably baptize them, right? Makes the most logical sense. So can anyone withhold water? Let's baptize them. And they have received the Holy Spirit just as, they, just as we have. And so he commanded them to be baptized. And God's word now begins to break out into this Gentile world. And you can just imagine the domino effect that this is having as his lives are being challenged and, and are being changed. And so Peter, you know, we're getting, we're getting a little further down the road now. He's actually called back to Jerusalem. They would always go back to Jerusalem. They'd have church meetings, right? And so you get all the top church leaders together. And so you have all of these people, these apostles and these brothers who are out. Where are they out? Throughout Judea, right? They haven't expanded out throughout Judea. And they hear that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And so when Peter's called up to Jerusalem, the what party? The circumcision party. Imagine being part of that, right? <laughs> The circumcision party, what did they do? They criticized him. Wait a second, these are disciples. These are people that heard Peter preach. These are people that heard Jesus and the commands that Jesus had given, and yet now all of a sudden, all, these, all this time has lapsed, and there's still division in the church. Imagine that. It's been nearly 2,000 years. Do you think there's still racial divisions in our church? Is there, right? Start with our world. Is there still racial prejudices in our world? How about in our country? Metro Detroit? How about in our hearts? Right? Are we open and honest about the prejudices that we have toward other people? It's so interesting because as Peter's being questioned and he's being criticized, what he does is he just says, listen, I had this dream, the sheet came down, there was these animals, I'm having this debate with God, he told me three times, you're not allowed to call what's unclean what's clean, so I go to Cornelius' house, I was just standing there, I was just talking, they all started speaking in tongues, what did you want me to do? It's not my fault, if they're going to speak in tongues, we might as well baptize them. I mean, that's literally the conversation that's going on in Jerusalem, and he says, obviously, the Gentiles are part of this. God has granted repentance that leads to life. And here's the interesting thing about Peter's journey in the book of Acts, because if you just read the book of Acts, Peter gets it right over and over and over again. It's really incredible. I mean, every single time he, he makes the right decision, he's led by the Holy Spirit. He does what the Holy Spirit calls him to do. This is what's so incredible about the Bible that you're holding, all 66 books that are contained within there, is that you have to jump to Galatians to find out a little bit more of the story. See, Galatians was written by a guy named Paul, and Paul actually sheds a little bit more light on the struggles that the early church had, specifically Peter. And I want you to see this as it's found in Galatians chapter 2. It says that when Peter came to Antioch during this whole time, and Antioch was the first place that people were actually called Christians, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for certain men came from James, and he was eating with the Gentiles. I want you to think about this. So there's a group, right, religious church leaders now, Christians, that go and they hear the report and they see Peter eating with the Gentiles, which Peter was loving, right? He got to enjoy barbecue now, right? He was having some barbecue ribs, probably some pulled pork, whatever the case is. And he's like, man, this is great. I got the vision from God and I saw God pull out his spirit. And we don't have to be bound by all these Jewish rules and traditions anymore. But for some reason, when he hears that there's these certain men and that he was eating with the Gentiles, when they came, he drew back and he separated himself. 
He created some distance between him and them. And who did he fear? He didn't fear God. He feared who? Isn't that wild? He feared man. Even though a, a, a few you know, moments ago in, in Scripture, he was able to stand up in front of the religious leaders and say, no, our job is to preach Christ and to preach Christ crucified and, and God's opinion of us is way more important than man's opinion of us. And now when push came to shove, when he got a little bit older, all of a sudden, the influence that he had began to diminish. In fact, Paul says the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter. Even Barnabas, which was another major player in this whole thing, he was led astray by Peter. And they're both hypocrites. And when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that this gospel truly is for everyone on the planet, I said to Peter before them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And they reverted back to their old ways and they began to try to put all these legalistic requirements on these new believers. And we don't know the extent of the damage that this caused that Peter, being so locked up with the Holy Spirit, and now we find out that this isn't really truly the case later on, that he struggled with this, just like you and I struggle with this in our hearts as well. I told you a few weeks ago that my wife and I, we switched gyms. We used to go to this boxing gym, and now we're at Lifetime, and the nice part about Lifetime is they have pools, and I think we're finally going to be able to swim in the pools, and uh, we can take our kids there, which is actually kind of cool, and... Um, we were uh, having ice cream uh, with another couple that we know. They don't go to church. We were, uh, another couple, uh, one of our kids, it was their last baseball game. And so what do you do on the last baseball game? You go and have ice cream, right? That's just standard. And uh, so we found out that they have a membership to this gym. And they were talking to us and they said, hey, just so you know, here's the secret to the pool at Lifetime. You have to go really early in the morning. Because if you wait and you go later in the day, those people are at the pool and their kids. Are you following me? Now, I think normally, if I wouldn't have been looking at this scripture all week and just processing and even Peter's struggle with this, it wouldn't have hit me as hard as it did. And, and as, as they're saying it and as, we're, as I'm listening to it and later on that night and Lisa and I kind of recapping that and talking about that, I said, man, is that really what truly is in our hearts and our lives today? Do we really truly think about that when it comes to other people in our communities that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that maybe do things different than us, that we would actually avoid people at a community pool or even that it's not even a community pool, it's a place that you go and you pay to go swimming at. If anything, we should be going and we should be going when it's at its highest season that God has called us to reach those in our communities, that we would rub shoulders with people that, man, that we would never lose sight of the gospel and what the true calling is, not just to go through life and make our kids happy, but that God would use us to have those conversations, to be able to speak peace and gospel and grace to those that don't yet know Christ. Amen? Amen. So, man, it was convicting for me, and I hope it's convicting for you this morning that this church, this place that we all love, this family, this tight-knit family, that we don't become so... Uh, tight and close-knit that we don't realize that there's a lost world out there that desperately needs Jesus. And it's not just for people that look like us 
or dress like us or drive cars like us or live in houses like us, but it's for every single person. Amen? Amen. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that that's actually the call that God has placed on our hearts as individuals, on our hearts as a families, and definitely as our, as our hearts as a congregation? Because, man, if we can't get this down in our own communities, if we're always talking about those people and them and their kids, and what's interesting is, is some of those people, they're actually Christians. Did you know that? Some of the groups that we go, those people, they're, they're fellow Christians, and we say they're not those people. It's all of us. All of us are on this journey together to figure out what it is that God has called us to do. So man, may God the Holy Spirit guard first our hearts. And then may God protect our minds. And certainly may he protect our tongues. And may we live it out as Peter lived it out. Because thanks be to God, Peter came back around. And in Acts chapter 15, he stood up to them again. And he said, you need to make no distinction between us and them. Because God is the one who cleanses hearts and lives. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And man, may that be our marching orders today, church. May that be what Shepherd's Gate is known for. May that be what you are known for and your family is known for, sharing God's grace and his mercy. Because the truth is, God calls us to faith to save us. But then we don't just get saved so we can just make a cushy life on earth. He calls us to save us so that he would use us to, un, to influence an unbelieving world. And are we going to get it right every time? No. Are we going to have moments of indecisiveness? Are we going to try to go back to our old ways? Yes, because we have this fallen sinful nature inside of us. But thanks be to God, through his grace and his mercy, he puts people in our lives. He puts Paul's in our lives to call it out in us to call out our prejudices, to call out our racisms, to call out the things that we say that we shouldn't say. And we need to get comfortable with doing that with one another, whatever that case is, because ultimately God's mission and his plan is that all people would come to a saving knowledge of him. Our influence, just so you know, has nothing to do with us. Our influence and Peter's influence had everything to do with God's restoration in his life and in our lives. So own your influence, church. Own your influence. Realize what it is that God has given you that you don't hold this to yourself, that you now share this with others. Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and that even the opportunity to look at these characters in the Bible, real-life people that, that lived and breathed and, and struggled just as we do, God, this morning we bow our heads and we close our eyes and, and we humble our hearts before you. And we pray, God, would you deal with us first and foremost? God, just even as you had to push the early church, even as you had to expand the boundaries of, of even their understanding that this gospel really is for everyone, God, will you convict our hearts and would you call us to repentance? by the things that we've said and the actions and even the way that we've treated other people, that God, ultimately, each and every day that we wake up, that we would be humbled before you, that we would ask you what's on your agenda today. God, what is it that you want to do? Who do you want to speak to? And God, how you could use us because you have restored our hearts and our lives. God, help us as a church to be your hands and feet. And I pray, God, that this church would be known in this community and all over the world that a church that cares about others even more than ourselves, 
because it's your power, it's you that's at work in our lives. So God, continue to do what only you can do. Continue to work in a powerful way. We humble ourselves before you, we confess to you, and we receive your grace and your mercy one again, once again. So thank you for taking our indecisiveness and through your power, turning it in to the mission that you have for us. We love you and we thank you. It's in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.